Let's pray together this morning. We come before you, we recognize even as we have been worshiping together, that you are indeed God and you are indeed a God of grace. You are the God of grace and there is no other. And so we come to you worshiping you and thankfulness and our hearts filled, delighting in you, the living God, the one in whom we hope and we live and so we come delighting in your son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have grace and we have experienced grace for those of us who know him and have put our faith in him. We delight in your son this morning. And we glory in you, oh God, how good you are to us. And as we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. May you help inform us, O oh God, and that we would be a gracious people as those who have experienced grace. May we then go and live as people of grace, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of grace to a world in need of grace. And so help us, Lord, to one another and to the world that we may declare the good news and what good news we have and so help us and we pray father as we can so often miss this but may we indeed at haven baptist church stand true to our name haven that we would be a haven indeed for uh, that we wouldn't just be a place that you know uh, for pharisees and for the righteous uh, quote unquote but for the needy the broken the sinner those in need of Christ, that would be what we are. And so help us, Lord, that we be just that. And so may you help us as well, Father, as we face days that require much wisdom and not just a general wisdom, but that we would walk in the fear of the Lord kind of wisdom. Wisdom as we face a changing culture, as we face a different workplace as we face uh, a secularism in a society that is becoming increasingly hostile towards Christianity. We pray for wisdom. Help each of us, Lord, as we seek to live for you and honor you. And as we come now and, and seek to come under your word, help us to leave here this morning changed and changing. And so help us we give you ourselves now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We'll be continuing our walk through the letter of Galatians. So Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. Now today there are many everywhere and anywhere who are longing for what is real. They're longing for what is authentic. You know, what, what is not fake. You know, they, don't, they, they don't want the artificial. They want the real thing. They want, they want to be around real people. And they themselves want to be real people. Whatever that may mean for them in our day. You know and... Me personally, I know I want to be 
real as well. I don't, I don't want to be up here, you know, Sunday after Sunday and preaching a message. And then I go at home and I don't live out that message, you know. I don't want to pray, God, help us be gracious people. Then at home or at work or wherever you go or wherever, I, you know, I go to the restaurant or, you know, the grocery store. And then I am not a gracious person. Or as I, you know, get older and perhaps maybe, you know, become a little less patient, I want to still be a man who is gracious to others. So I'm not just up here preaching one thing and then doing another. So I long as well, along with you and along with many, to be real. And so in view of all that, let me ask, do you want to know what the secret is? To being real. Well, let me tell you that it runs against the very grain of the world. In fact, it runs against the very grain of all things self. And what is that? Well, it's dying. It's dying to self. It's dying to me. It's dying to my agenda and my aims. It's dying. Now, George Mueller, he lived in the 1800s. He was very well known in his day. Some of you may know of him and some of you may not have ever heard of George Mueller before, but he was one of these. He he was one of those who wanted to be real. He didn't just say that he trusted God, but he acted upon his faith in God. And so he was known as a man of great faith. He was known as a man who had an amazing life of prayer. And as he sought to live for Christ by the end of his life, incredibly, he had preached over 10,000 times. (laughs) Now, just to put that in perspective, that means he was for years preaching every single day of the week in order to preach 10,000 times throughout his life. And then just to add to all that, he traveled over 200,000 miles to preach Jesus Christ. So a man who is serious about living out the Christian faith. And then to add on top of that, one more. He had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer. Keeping track of them all. And so he was once asked... A man like that, you certainly want to know, you know, what, what makes you, like, how do you get there? I mean, how do you be that? Well, someone once asked him what his secret was. And his reply was this. There was a day when I died. Utterly died. Died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes and will. Died to the world its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. When all is said and done this morning, this is indeed what God is calling you and I to do as well. He is calling you to die. 
And so as we turn to our passage here this morning, we read of a man who was the real deal, but he had to die first. So let's read here beginning in chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 10. May God bless and be exalted at the reading of his word. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, but they that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Now from just reading the opening verses of this letter, you might well have thought, would be somewhat similar in tone and nature to some of Paul's other letters. Now, you may have not read Paul's other letters, or maybe you have and you are very familiar with how he generally begins. You know, so he usually begins his letters with, you know, like a greeting. You see that here, you know, and, and he'll do that, and then he'll thank God and he'll pray and so like a thanksgiving a time of thanksgiving and a time of prayer you know exalting god even praising god for the saints of blank you know and so we do see at least part of that here we see the greeting right but quickly we see that paul has something very urgent to say to the churches of galatia he just kind of throws off everything else, and he just gets right down to business, and he is astonished. Verse 6, that they would desert the gospel of grace for a no-grace gospel. Yet for him, for Paul, verse 10, he is a servant of Christ. And so it is his aim to please please God and not to please men. And so the tone here 
right out of the gates. It is rather urgent and it is serious. Why? Because he has not been peddling some false message. He has not been going around spreading a false gospel. He has been preaching the real thing. And so he comes with great urgency saying, don't let the real gospel go. And this is what Paul is defending here. He's defending the real gospel. And we see that in verses 11 and 12. He is defending it because of these people, the Judaizers. They were coming along and saying, yes, Jesus, but add to that the law and circumcision as well. So if you want to be saved, you need Jesus plus circumcision plus the law. And then, so to make matters worse, they're over here kind of denouncing Paul as well. So they're saying essentially, oh yeah, he, that Paul... He's just a people pleaser. You know, that's all he's about. He's not, he's not giving you the whole thing. You know, you need these other two things as well, not just Jesus. You need these other things also. So it's, it's all he's giving you is all him. It's all Paul. Don't listen to him. Listen to us. That's what they're going around saying. And so Paul is urgently addressing these false preachers preaching a false gospel. And so Paul's answer to them here is abundantly clear. The gospel that I preach to you is not man's gospel. So in other words, it's not made up. It's not made up. So the gospel he preached is the real thing. And really... This isn't something you could make up, you know. I think, I think we kind of have evidence of that already, right? The Judaizers, they're like, I don't think that's enough, you know. We've got to add some more to this because if that's the gospel, that just doesn't seem right. And so they're having struggles with the way the gospel really is then. And so... Paul is addressing that his gospel is not man's gospel. So what might a gospel of man look like? Well, I don't think we really have to look or wonder too long because just like I said, the Judaizers were kind of doing that. They were doing that. But also, you know, someone along the way, they once compared a variety of religions by imagining, asking them that kind of hypothetical question. And here was the question they asked, They basically said, how might they counsel someone who is drowning in the sea? So how might these various religions counsel someone who is drowning in the sea and that person in the sea symbolizing the lost sinner who is helplessly drowning? And so imagining the answers here, it goes and Muhammad answers, resign yourself. It is the will of Allah. Buddha comes and answers, struggle, walk the noble eightfold path. And then Hinduism answers, 
you will be reincarnated, reincarnated to try again, so okay. But it is only Jesus who answers, take my hand, I will lift you out, and I will save you. It is only the real gospel that saves. Not based on what you do. Not based on your own merit. Not based on your own ability. But entirely based upon Christ. And Christ alone. And the grace of God alone. And so Paul has an urgent thing to say here, doesn't he? And so it is that Paul says first here, the gospel is not man's gospel. He didn't receive it from anyone. You know, no vagabond came along and gave it to him. He wasn't taught it, and he didn't make it up. And then second, Paul, he says, the gospel is God-given. God-given. He did not receive it from any man, nor did he himself bring it about. No, no. This gospel he received from Christ himself. This is Paul's point. Not a man, nor men, nor anyone, but Jesus. And this is why Paul goes on in verses 16 through 24. So this would be post-conversion. He begins explaining how he went away not consulting with anyone. But only after three years of being away did he go to Jerusalem and he went and saw Cephas or Peter, one of the apostles. And so he is saying the gospel Paul preached, it was God-given, it was given by revelation of Jesus Christ. He is saying unashamedly that he is a true apostle. He got his message from Jesus himself. And so Paul's gospel is not man-made, and so it is through this gospel, the real gospel, the God-given, Jesus-revealed gospel that God does His work. It isn't through a gospel that we devise. It's not a gospel that we have carved and formed for ourselves. Which... We need to be careful that we aren't doing that. We may be doing exactly what the Judaizers did. Saying, you know, Jesus is all fine and good, but I have created this whole system now in my Christianity that is all based on rules. We'd be doing the same exact thing that they're doing here. So I would simply ask you, are you doing that? Have you begun carving and making your own gospel? Because this gospel is rather incredible. And how can it be that incredible? How can it be that easy? How can it be just grace? Well, right now, I want to encourage you in your hearts and minds to post a big sign over all of those kind of carved gospels you might have and simply put, No work of God is found there. So if we as a church, 
Or we as individuals, we go about preaching a false gospel, you will not see God work. Because the work of God is not found there. It is only found in the one real and true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it is the gospel from God that we need. We need Jesus. We need his whole life. We need his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. You know, for years, the devil has been trying to fool people to believe that the gospel is something that you receive. You come down to the altar, you sign a card, and then you're done. You know, you come forward perhaps teary-eyed and emotional and presented to the church as someone who just came to faith in Christ and you say, oh, I'll take Jesus and you, once you leave these doors, you just leave Jesus behind as well. But that's not the way the gospel works. That's not the way grace works. Once you have met Christ, he changes and he keeps changing you. You're not, you're not trying to earn anything with God. It's just, he, he is now my treasure. And if you have truly come to accept Christ as your treasure, as your Lord, then you're not just going to simply say, oh, I got the gospel, I'm fine, I'm going to leave that all behind. No, what do you do? You take that treasure, you enjoy it, you delight in it, you adore Christ above all things. And so he changes and keeps changing us to our great delight and joy. So have you ever wondered why Paul often spends the beginning of his letters reflecting upon God and upon Christ and upon the gospel? Which he does, first half. Why does he do that? Because they are to inform everything else. So what does he then do? Opening chapters of a letter. He then goes and takes what he just said and he applies it to what? To everything. Everything. He applies it to your heart. He applies it to your thoughts. He applies it to your desires. He applies it to conflict. He applies it to sex. He applies it to government. He applies it to work. He applies it to marriage. He applies it to children. He applies it to spiritual warfare. He applies it to persecution. He applies it to hospitality. He applies it to freedom. He applies it to the body of Christ. He applies it to everything. So let me ask you, how have you viewed the gospel? Is it just something that you kind of have over here and it doesn't really go into all those areas? Because Paul and God, Jesus says that when you know him, all those areas will have him in it. Intertwined with Christ. So perhaps we need to consider it again. It is through 
the gospel that God does his work. And so if you are drifting here today, let me ask you, have you considered the gospel? Have you considered it lately? If you are here and maybe you're struggling with something, maybe it's sin, maybe it's, you know, relationship or something else, well, let me ask you, have you considered the gospel lately? Have you considered what Christ has done and that he has called you to follow him? And if you're lost here this morning, have you looked to the one who can save you? Have you looked to Christ? And so he calls to you, sinner, he calls to you, saint, he calls to every single one of us that we may make the gospel central in everything. And so that may mean today that you need to go home and I don't know if you've ever done this before, but maybe go home today after the service and just go in your room and come before God and open your Bible to the New Testament and just simply begin reading and seeking God's face in prayer. These things are true, and so since they are true, are we taking them as though they are true? Are we applying these things to our life if we are struggling with this or drifting with this way or that? And just simply casting yourself upon God and setting your burdens, your fears, your doubts, your dashed hopes, your tears before the God who sees and knows you full well. So that may be what you need to do this morning. Just leave here and go be with God. Or if it's you and your, your spouse just bowing before the living God and seeking his face together. Or your whole family, your children, get them all around and seek God's face. So at this point, Paul, he begins making a transition here. He, he transitions from defending the real gospel, defending here, the real Paul. And so we see this in verses 13 through 24 here. And so his point here is this. It's essentially my testimony. It is real. It is true. It is verified. I am no liar. And he even says that, right? In verse 20. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And so he begins then first here by talking about the old Paul. The old Paul in verses 13 through 14. And so the old Paul who zealously aimed at ending the church. And so he says there in verse 13 that he persecuted the church of God and violently tried to destroy it. Now, the words that Paul uses here, they're, they're really strong he's not he's not he wasn't just kind of like going around you know kind of shooting like nerf darts at the church like man i don't like you 
You know, that's not what he was doing. These little darts that don't do anything, you know, they don't even, it's like kind of hit you and don't do anything. That's not what he was like at all. He wanted the church eliminated. He wanted it that the name of Jesus Christ would be lost forever. May that name never be heard on anyone's lips ever again. That's what he was about. And as we see in the New Testament, Paul, as he reflects back on that time, as Megan read a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says there, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 1 through 2, it says of Paul, But Saul still, or Paul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's the old Paul. This is not someone you would like to meet on the street if you're a Christian. He would have taken you, and he would have been glad to see you in prison. And so we see that. And then second, the old Paul, he zealously embraced Phariseeism. So he was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, even as we see in Philippians 3.5. And this is what he's getting at with referencing in verse 14, the tradition of my fathers. So he, he was a superstar Pharisee. He was even trained by the famous Gamaliel. And so he knew. He knew the Old Testament well, and he not only knew the Old Testament, but he knew all that other stuff, you know, all the additional rules that the Pharisees had added to the Word of God. And so all that, then to say that Paul, he was not going about all this half-heartedly. He was all in as he went looking for Christians. He wanted them to be done and dead and no more. But here we see that Paul's zeal was misplaced. He was not honoring God, but he was opposing God. And so on the Damascus road in Acts chapter 9, Paul, or God, changed Paul forever. On that day, Paul died. So in verses 15 through 24, we see now the new Paul. Paul wants the Galatians and everyone else to know that this change that happened to Paul, that this change is something that never Paul himself could never brought about. The new Paul was not because of Paul. It was because of God. God radically changed him. God did it. God had chosen him before the foundation of the world. And so, rebellion and all, God graciously brought Paul out from death to life. So in grace, God called him, and Paul, he threw off his old life, 
and he said, like Mueller, that was the day I died. I died to Paul. His opinions, preferences, tastes, and will died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren and friends. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God or Son of Man who gave his life for me. And so what? Jesus pulled him out of the water. And if you know Christ this morning, that's what he did with you. You didn't make your soul come alive. God did that. Jesus saved you. And the new Paul saw God had set him apart for this purpose. So God, he called him by his grace and appointed him to preach the gospel of God to the Gentiles. And so without Paul knowing it, all of his life had been prepared for this very purpose. For God's glory. All the rebellion, all the learning, all of the learning under Gamaliel, all these things God would use for his name, to declare Christ among the nations. Now, I'm not sure what exactly might be going on with you, where you are, but whoever you are and whatever you've done or perhaps whatever you're doing right now, know this, that God can save you also. And you may be here and saying, well, wait, no. But you don't understand, Pastor. I am a sinner. I know I came here today. Man, I don't think God could receive me. Well, friend, you're in good company because Jesus is after you. Jesus welcomes sinners. He welcomes the broken He welcomes the downcast, the lost, the needy. So come to him today just as you are. You may indeed be the worst of the worst, at least you think so. But Jesus came for you. And so if Paul were here right now, he would come to you and he would sit beside you and he would tell you this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. So if you're here and you're like, man, He just... There's no room for me here. Well, Jesus came for you. Paul is an example of that God, Christ, can save anybody. No matter where you are. No matter how broken you are. No matter how much despair you're in. He just says, come. And I will save you this morning.
Or it may be that you're here and you're saying, well, yeah, I'm no Paul, you know. I can never be used by God like that, you know. Sure, God used all that for his glory but, and equipped even Paul for these things. But man, I, could, I can never do these things. Well, friend, know this. God can use you also. Whether you are young or you are old here, God, he will use anyone who says, I am yours wholly and fully, dead to self, alive in Christ. Glorify your name through me. And if you think that old age is a problem or young age is a problem, well, most of the disciples were rather young. David was rather young. Moses is rather old, <laughs> right? George Mueller was old and went to 93 years old preaching Jesus Christ the last drop of his life. And so we, we don't say, yeah, glorify your name with my life until it gets to this point, and then I'm done. <laughs> you know, that's not it. It is, here's my life till I'm 90, till I'm 60, till I'm 40, 30, 20, whatever. Just use it for your glory. I give it to you. And that is what God wants. And when you do that, oh my, God will use you. He will use you. God did not save Paul and say, all right, you go and figure everything else out. He saved and equipped and empowered Paul for all he called him to do. And God, he still saves, he still equips, and he still empowers for all that he commands. So arise, church. Believe him. And get to the work of the Lord. What's been holding us back? Is it just that? Maybe you haven't died? Or maybe there's something in your life that needs to die this morning. Maybe it's like, you know, God calls me to do this, yes, but I'm just not going to do it. God is saying, friend, the freedom and the liberty and the joy is not found there. It's found in a life just, that just says, I will glorify you. And so use the gifts that he's given you. And don't ever stop until he takes you home. And then let me tell you this. Then how you and I will see the mighty power of God. How we will see it in our day. We began singing of the mighty power of God. Well, here it is. Do you want that? Wait and see what God will do with those who trust in him. You know, the churches there in Judea, they heard of this man, this crazy guy, going about preaching the faith that he once so tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of him. And so may it be with us also. May many glorify God because of you. Because of you. So it's time. 
You know, I said at the beginning of this sermon that God was calling you and I to die this morning. And so it is. It's time to die to self, to die to your opinions, to die to your preferences, to die to your tastes and your will, to die to the world and its approval. There, my friends, is the real man. There, my friends, is the real woman. And so will you hear the call this morning? Will you listen to God? Will you trust him who is infinitely trustworthy? Will this be the day that you die? Let's pray together. Father, as we bow our heads and pray and seek your face right now, we just come, and I pray every one of us would come and ask right now of ourselves, what needs to die in me? Or maybe it's that you just need to die. You don't even know Christ this morning. You are that sinner. You're the lost person here. You're the broken. And Christ calls you to come and receive him. No, not to an altar, not to sign a card, but to Christ. And so may you respond to the Lord today and so help us follow to respond to you your word this morning as we aren't passing around offering plates may we just simply put ourselves in the offering plate in our hearts and minds right now saying that's that's it my life for your glory whether you're here and you're a child and listening right now or You've heard this message many times. 80, 90. Put yourself in the offering plate this morning. And so help us, Father, respond to your word, to look to Christ, who is the only hope, to look to this real gospel that we would die. Helpless fathers, we respond this morning in song. If anyone needs to come forward and pray, seek your face, comes to faith in Christ, want to know more about Christ, then do it right there in your seat or come forward. Respond this morning, we pray. We ask that we would respond. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.